Section 6 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 15. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Adrian Stevens. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 15. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labry. Section 6. The Kelp Gatherer. The stranger who wanders along the terrific masses of crag that overhang the green and foaming waters of the Atlantic on the western coasts of Ireland feels a melancholy interest excited in his mind as he turns aside from the more impressive grandeurs of the scene and gazes on the small stone heaps that are scattered over the moss on which he treads. They are the graves of the nameless few whose bodies have been from time to time ejected from the bosom of the ocean and cast upon those lonely crags to startle the early fishermen with their ghastly and disfigured bulk here they meet at the hands of the pitying mountaineers the last offices of christian charity a grave in the nearest soft earth with no other ceremonial than the humble peasant's prayer here they lie, uncoffined, unlamented, unclaimed by mourning friends, starting like sudden spectres of death from the depths of the ocean, to excite a wild fear, a passing thought of pity, a vain inquiry in the hamlet, and then sink into the earth in mystery and in silence, to be no more remembered on its surface. The obscurity which envelops the history of those unhappy strangers affords a subject to the speculative traveller on which he may give free play to the wings of his imagination. Few, indeed, can pass these deserted sepulchres without endeavouring for a moment to penetrate in fancy the darkness which enshrouds the fate of their mouldering tenants, without beholding the progress of the ruin that struck from beneath the voyager's feet the firm and lofty fabric to which he had confidently trusted his existence, without hearing the shrieks of the despairing crew and the stern and horrid burst of the roused-up ocean as it dealt the last stroke upon the groaning timbers of the wreck and scattered the whole pile far and wide in countless atoms upon the boiling surface of the deep and again, without turning in thought to the faraway homes at which the tale of the wanderers was never told, to the pale young widow that dreamed herself still a wife, and lived on from morn to morn in the fever of a vain suspense, to the helpless parent that still hoped for the offices of filial kindness from the hand that was now mouldering in a distant grave, and to the social fireside over whose evening pastimes the long silence of an absent friend had thrown a gloom that the certainty of woe or gladness could never remove. Among those nameless tombs, within the space of the last few years, the widow of a fisherman named Reardon was observed to spend a great portion of her time. Her husband had died young, perishing in a sudden storm, which swept his canoe from the coast side into the waste of sea beyond it, and his wife was left to inhabit a small cottage near the crags, and to support, by the labour of her hands, an only child, 
who was destined to inherit little more than the blessing the virtue and the affections of his parent the poor widow endeavoured to procure a substance for her boy and for herself by gathering the kelp which was thrown upon the crags and was burned for the purpose of manufacturing soap from its ashes while the youth employed his yet unformed strength in tilling the small garden that was confined by a quickset hedge at their cottage side they were fondly attached and toiled incessantly to obtain the means of comfort rather for each other than for themselves but with all their exertions left them in the rearward of her favour the mother beheld with a mother's agony the youthful limbs and features of her boy exhibit the sickly effects of habitual privation and habitual toil while the son mourned to see the feebleness of a premature old age begin to steal upon the health and vigour of his parent in these difficulties a prospect of certain advantage and probable good fortune induced the young man to leave his mother and his native country for some years the distresses and disturbances which agitated that unhappy land pressed so heavily upon the fortunes of many families of the middle as well as the lower rank that great numbers were found to embrace the opportunity of improvement which the colonization of the new world held out for their advantage among those who emigrated was the family under whom the reardons held their little cottage and with them it was that the young man determined to try his fortune in a happier region having arranged their affairs so as to secure his widowed parent against absolute poverty they separated with many tears the mother blessing her son as she committed him to the guardianship of providence and the son pledging himself to return to her assistance as soon as he had obtained the means of providing her the comforts necessary for her old age his success though gradual was complete the blessings of the young tobias fell upon the work of his hands and his industry because well directed was productive even beyond his expectations instead of lingering like many of his fellow exiles in the seaport towns where they were detained by idleness and that open-mouthed folly which persuades men that fortune may be found without the pain of seeking young reardon proceeded at once into the new settlements where human industry is one of the most valuable and valued commodities in a little time he was enabled to remit a considerable portion of his earnings to his poor mother and continued from time to time to increase his contributions to her comfort until at length the abundance of his prosperity was such as to enable him to relinquish the pursuit of gain and to fulfil the promise he had at parting he did not return alone with the full approbation of the poor widow he had joined his fate to that of a young person in the settlement where he dwelt whose dispositions were in every way analogous to his own and who only excelled him in the superior ease and comfort of her circumstances previous to his return he wrote to the poor widow to inform her that in less than two months from that time with the blessing of providence her daughter-in-law 
her two grandchildren and her son would meet beneath the roof of her ancient dwelling fancy if you can the anxiety with which the poor widow looked out for this long-expected time the assistance which the affectionate exile had been able to afford her was such as to raise her to a state of comparative affluence in her neighbourhood and to render her independent of the hard and servile toil by which she had accustomed to gain a livelihood her cottage was wholly changed in its appearance and had the honour of being frequently selected for a night's lodging by her landlord's agent and other great men who passed through the lonely district a few flowers sprang up in her sally-fringed garden which were not the less tenderly cherished that the seeds from which they grew were transmitted from the emigrant's garden into the other hemisphere her life up to the moment when she received this joyous letter had been calmly and sadly happy she looked forward with a serene feeling of mingled hope and resignation to the day of her son's return and never once suffered the eagerness of her affection to outstep her gratitude to heaven and her entire dependence upon the divine will but forgive a mother's fondness there are few hearts in which the affections of the world and of nature are so entirely held under subjection by the strong hand of reason and faith that they cannot be moved to a momentary forgetfulness of duty by a sudden and startling occasion after the widow had heard the letter read in which her son announced his approaching return the quiet of her life was for a time disturbed she thought of heaven indeed and prayed even more fervently than before but the burning fever that possessed her heart showed that its confidence was qualified in the hours of devotion she often found her thoughts wandering from the being whose breath could still or trouble the surface of the ocean far over the wide waters themselves to meet the vessel that was flying to her with tidings of bliss she shuddered as she went morn after morn to the cliff-head and cast her eyes on the graves of the shipwrecked voyagers which were scattered along the turf mountains on which she trod in the silence of the night when she endeavoured to drown her anxieties in sleep imagination did but overact the part with which it had terrified her waking stormy seas and adverse winds a ship straining against the blast her deck covered with pale and affrighted faces among which she seemed to detect those of her son and of his family winds hissing through the creaking yards and waves tossing their horrid heads aloft and roaring for their prey such were the visions that beset the bed of the longing mother and made the night ghastly to her eyes when she lay awake the rustling of a sudden wind among the green boughs at her window made her start and sit erect in her bed nor would she again return to rest until she had opened the little casement and satisfied herself by waving her hand abroad in the night air that her alarm was occasioned by one of its fairest and most favourable motions so indeed it was the almighty as though to convince her how far she was from conjecturing might the quarter from which the calamity might visit her bade the winds blow during the whole of that period in the manner 
which they had been in her own keeping she would have desired her acquaintances and neighbours all seemed to share in her anxiety the fishermen after they had drawn up their canoes at evening were careful on their way homeward to drop in at the widow reardon's door and let her know what vessels had entered the neighbouring river in the course of the day or had appeared in the offing she was constantly cheered with the assurance that fairer weather for a homeward bound ship or more likely to continue was never known before still nevertheless the poor woman's heart was not at peace and the days and nights lagged with an unaccustomed heaviness one night in particular toward the end of the second month appeared to linger so very strangely that the widow thought the morn would never dawn an unusual darkness seemed to brood over the world and she lay awake gazing with longing eyes toward the little window through which the sun's earliest rays were used to greet her in the waking on a sudden she heard voices outside the window alive to the slightest circumstance that was unusual she arose all dark as it was threw on her simple dress in haste and groped her way to the front door of the dwelling she recognized the voice of a friendly neighbor and opened the door supposing that he might have some interesting intelligence to communicate she judged correctly good news good news mrs reardon and i give you joy of them this morning what will you give me to tell you who is in the small boat at the shore that small boat what where below there ma'am where i'm pointing my finger don't you see them coming up the crag toward you i cannot i cannot it's so dark the widow replied endeavouring to penetrate the gloom dark and the broad sun shining down upon them this whole day day the sun oh my almighty father save me what's the matter don't you see them ma'am see them the poor woman exclaimed placing her hands on her eyes and shrieking aloud in her agony i shall never see him more i am dark blind the peasant started back and crossed himself the next instant the poor widow was caught in the arms of her son where is she my mother oh my darling mother i am coming back to you look i have kept my word she strove with a sudden effort of self-restraint to keep her misfortune secret and wept without speaking upon the neck of her long absent relative who attributed her tears to an excess of happiness but when he presented his young wife and called her attention to the happy laughing faces and healthful cheeks of their children the wandering of her eyes and the confusion of her manner left it no longer possible to retain the secret my good kind boy said she laying a hand heavily on his arm you are returned to my old arms once more and i am grateful for it but we cannot expect to have all we wish for in this world oh my poor boy i can never see you i can never see your children i am blind the young man uttered a horrid and piercing cry while he tossed his clenched hand above his hand and stamped upon the earth in sudden anguish blind my mother he repeated oh heaven is this the end of all my toils and wishes 
to come home and find her dark forever. Is it for this I have prayed and laboured, blind and dark? Oh, my poor mother! Oh, heaven! Oh, mother! Mother! Hold! Now, my boy, where are you? What way is that for a Christian to talk? Come near me. Let me touch your hands. Don't add to my sorrows, Richard, my child, by uttering a word against the will of heaven. Where are you? Come near me. Let me hear you say that you are resigned to this and all other visitations of the great Lord of all light. Say this, my child, and your virtue will be dearer to me than my eyes. Ah, my good Richard, you may be sure the Almighty never strikes us, except it is for our sins or for our good. I thought too much of you, my child, and the Lord saw my heart was straying to the world again, and has struck me for the happiness of both. Let me hear you say that you are satisfied. I can see your heart still, and that is dearer to me than your person. Let me see it is as good and as dutiful as I knew it before you left me. The disappointed exile held her in his arms. Well, well, my poor mother, he said, I am satisfied. Since you are the chief sufferer and show no discontent, it would have been too unreasonable that I should murmur. The will of heaven be done, but it is a bitter stroke. Again he folded his dark parent to his bosom and wept aloud while his wife retired softly to a distance, held her face in her cloak. Her children clung with fear and anxiety to her side and gazed with affrighted faces upon the afflicted mother and son. But they were not forgotten. After she had repeatedly embraced her recovered child, the good widow remembered her guests, she extended her arms toward that part of the room at which she heard the sobs and moanings of the younger mother. "'Is that my daughter's voice?' she asked. "'Place her in my arms, Richard. Let me feel the mother of your children upon my bosom.' The young woman flung herself into the embrace of the aged widow. "'Young and fair, I am sure,' the latter continued, passing her wasted fingers over the blooming cheek of the good American." I can feel the roses upon this cheek, I am certain. But what are these? Tears? My good child, you should dry our tears instead of adding to them. Where are your children? Let me see. Ah, my heart, let me feel them. I mean, let me take them in my arms. My little angels, oh, if I could only open my eyes for one moment, to look upon you all, but for one little instant... I would close them again for the rest of my life and think myself happy. If it had happened only one day, one hour after your arrival, but the will of heaven be done, perhaps even this moment, when we think ourselves most miserable, he is preparing for us some hidden blessing. Once more the pious widow was correct in her conjecture. It is true that day, which all hope should be a day of rapture, was spent by the reunited family in tears and mourning. But Providence did not intend that creatures who had served him so faithfully should be visited with more than a temporary sorrow for a slight and unaccustomed transgression. 
the news of the widow's misfortune spread rapidly through the country and excited universal sympathy for few refused their commiseration to a fellow-creature's sorrow even those who would accord a tardy and measured sympathy to his good fortune among those who heard with real pity the story of their distress was a surgeon who resided in the neighbourhood and who felt all that enthusiastic devotion to his art which its high importance to the welfare of mankind was calculated to excite in a generous mind this gentleman took an opportunity of visiting the old widow when she was alone in her cottage the simplicity with which she told her story and the entire resignation which she expressed interested and touched him deeply it is not over with me yet sir she concluded for still when the family are talking around me i forget that i am blind and when i hear my son say something pleasant i turn to see the smile upon his lips and when the darkness reminds me of my loss it seems as if i lost my sight all over again the surgeon discovered on examination that the blindness was occasioned by a disease called cataract which obscures by an unhealthy secretion the lucid brightness of the crystalline lens and obstructs the entrance of the rays of light the improvements which modern practitioners have made in this science render this disease which was once held to be incurable now comparatively easy of removal the surgeon perceived at once by the condition of the eyes that by the abstraction of the injured lens he could restore sight to the afflicted widow unwilling however to excite her hopes too suddenly or prematurely he began by asking her whether for a chance of recovering the use of her eyes she would submit to a little pain the poor woman replied that if he thought he could once more enable her to behold her child and his children she would be content to undergo any pain which would not endanger her life then i may inform you replied her visitor that i have the strongest reasons to believe that i can restore you to sight provided you agree to place yourself at my disposal for a few days i will provide you with an apartment in my house and your family shall know nothing about it until the cure is effected the widow consented and on that very evening the operation was performed the pain was slight and was endured by the patient without a murmur for a few days after the surgeon insisted on her wearing a covering over her eyes until the wounds which he had found it necessary to inflict had been perfectly healed one morning after he had felt her pulse and made the necessary inquiries he said while he held the hand of the widow i think we may now venture with safety to remove the covering compose yourself now my good old friend and suppress all emotion prepare your heart for the reception of a great happiness the poor woman clasped her hands firmly together and moved her lips as if in prayer at the same moment the covering fell from her brow and the light burst in in a joyous flood upon her soul she sat for an instant bewildered and incapable of viewing any object with distinctness the first on which her eyes reposed was the figure of a young man bending his gaze with an intense and ecstatic fondness upon hers 
and with his arms outstretched as if to anticipate the recognition the face though changed and sunned since she had known it was still familiar to her she started from her seat with a wild cry of joy and cast herself upon the bosom of her son she embraced him repeatedly then removed him to a distance that she might have the opportunity of viewing him with greater distinctness and again with a burst of tears flung herself upon his neck she beheld her daughter and their children waiting eagerly for her caress she embraced them all returning from each to each and perusing their faces and persons as if she would never drink deep enough of the cup of rapture which her recovered sense afforded her the beauty of the young mother the fresh and rosy colour of the children the glossy brightness of their hair their smiles their movements of joy all afforded subjects for delight and admiration such as she might never have experienced had she never considered them in the light of blessings lost for life the surgeon who thought that the consciousness of a stranger's presence might impose a restraint upon the feelings of the patient and her friends retired into a distant corner where he beheld not without tears the scene of happiness which he had been made instrumental in conferring richard said the old widow as she laid her hand upon her son's shoulder and looked into his eyes did i not judge aright when i said that even when i thought ourselves the most miserable the almighty might have been preparing for us some hidden blessing were we in the right to murmur the young man withdrew his arms from his mother clasped them before him and bowed down his head in silence End of section 6